Well, it's great to see everyone this morning who's in the room. Those of you who are online, it's good to be with you wherever you're at today. We are in part six of an eight-week series called Starting Point, and the entire premise of this series is that faith has a starting point. And you know that. You know that everything, you know, you, yourself, your job, your career, your education, your family, your, your parenting, everything has a starting point. And you also know that how something starts usually determines how well it goes from that point forward. Well, it's no different with faith. The starting point for faith, it changes everything. The, the right starting point changes everything, and the wrong one does too. And after years of observing people and talking to people, I've concluded that one of the reasons people end up, you know, people are hesitant to start faith, you know, abandon faith, lose faith, become disinterested in faith, question their faith, is simply because they didn't have the right starting point for faith. And I think all the time, man, if they had the right starting point, it just wouldn't be that way. So we decided to hit the restart button and, and do this series answering the question, What's the right starting point for faith, particularly for faith in Jesus, for the quote-unquote Christian faith? Uh, and I think, man, if you're either considering starting or restarting or you're interested in, in reigniting or growing your faith in Jesus, this series is so important for you. Because with the right starting point for faith, you can have a, you can have a faith that produces a life and joy and peace and hope and assurance and purpose in whatever season of life that you find yourself in. See, the right starting point, it doesn't remove questions and doubts, but with the right starting point, you can have a faith that grows stronger in the midst of your questions and in the midst of your doubts. With the right starting point, you can have a faith that changes the way that you view and you navigate through pressures and realities and hardships and disappointments of life. And with the right starting point, you can have a faith that God works through to transform you more into everything he's created you to be. Now, I say every week the series is building off each other. It's a journey I'm trying to take you through. It's important you have all the building blocks. And so if you've missed any, any part of this series so far, go back and watch uh, so you can stay cut up and have all the pieces as we're on this journey with one another. Well, to begin today's discussion, I want to talk about something we all have in common, and that is our propensity to bargain or do deals with or negotiate with God. And we've, I think we've all tried to negotiate with God either to get in with him, to stay in with him, or to get something from him. Because we've all said things like, God, if you will blank, I promise I will blank. Right, look, God, I know we haven't talked in a while, but if you get me, if you get me out of this situation, I, I promise I will start giving. If you help me, I, you know, I promise I, I, I'll, I'll, I'll get back into church. God, if, if, if you make sure my parents are asleep when I get home, I, I promise I'll go to camp. God, if, if, if you'll give me a passing grade, I promise I will study hard from now on. Or we say it like this, God, if you will, I promise I'll never God, if you make her not pregnant, I promise I will never have sex again. God, if you get me out of this DUI, I promise I will never drink again. God, if you give me a raise, I promise I'll never complain about work again. And we've all bargained with God. I mean, regardless of what our faith background is, regardless of what we believe about God, we've all bargained with him. I mean, even people who don't believe in God will negotiate with him. Uh, you know, even an atheist, when they're desperate enough, will be like, to whom it may concern. Uh, you know, if you're there, like, I, I'm, I've reached my limit. We've all bargained with God over some silly things. We've all bargained with God over some serious things. But, and so what I want to do is, I, I know we're not Catholic, and, and so we don't do confession, but I want to just, you know, have a confession here for everyone in the room and you online. You can, you can join in even though we can't see you. But if you've ever bargained or negotiated with God, just raise your hand real quick. Have you ever said anything like that? Yeah, pretty much 
all of us. Now, here's the interesting thing, and here's the other thing I know about you because it knows about me. We hardly ever keep our end of the deal, do we? I mean, it, when it works out in our favor, we hardly ever follow through. I actually did follow through one time. When I was in high school, one of my bargaining things was I thought my girlfriend was pregnant, and I said, God, if you get me out of this one, I will serve you the rest of my life. She wasn't pregnant, and that's how I got into this mess. Uh, but most of the time, we don't keep our end of the deal. We chalk it up to good luck or coincidence or the birth control worked or good medicine or our, our dumb teacher, and we go right back to our ways, don't we? Now, since we've all bargained with God, we've all made actually a few assumptions, even if we don't know that we've made these few assumptions. The first assumption we've made since we bargained with God is you believe that God exists and he cares. If you've ever negotiated with God... This means you have more faith than you think you have. If you've ever negotiated with God, you think he knows your name, he knows your circumstances, and he gives a rip and he cares about your grades, your kids, your future, your family. That takes a lot of faith. So you may have more faith than you even think that you have. Another assumption if you ever negotiated with God is God, that God doesn't give anything for free. If you've ever bargained with God, if you've ever tried to make a deal with God, you assume that if he gives you something, that he requires you give him something in return. And another assumption, and where we're actually going to go today, is this. You have something God wants. I mean, whenever we negotiate with God or bargain with God, we think we have something God wants. Hey, God, you know, how about some obedience? Hey, God, let me do a deal with you. How about some, how about some money? Like I hear that's all you want anyway. How about, how about some money? Hey, God, how about, how about some Sunday attendance? God, I'll do a deal with you. How about I give you some Sunday attendance? I'll do a deal with you, God. You do for me, and I'll give you what you want from me. And as silly as it sounds, when we put it into those terms, that's what we do. And it drives our faith. It drives our view of God. It drives our prayers. It drives how we relate to God and how we believe God relates to us and how we believe that God views us. Now, what we got to know is that most faith systems, most faith traditions, most really religion in general, all foster a bargain mentality. And understandably so, because that's how it works in the real world. But what you also need to know is that you consider the starting point for faith in Jesus is that God does not negotiate. You've got to know this is for the right starting point for faith in Jesus. God does not negotiate. And the reason he doesn't negotiate is because God doesn't want or need anything from you. Therefore, it's futile to negotiate with God because God is God. He's creator God. He's over all, you know, over everything, which means you and I don't have anything that he could possibly need or want from us. He already got it. God doesn't negotiate because God doesn't need or want anything from you. Instead, he wants something for you. And that's a big difference. And this is the thing that differentiates faith in Jesus from every other faith system, from every other faith tradition, from every single religion. Listen, when you open up the pages of Scripture and you read the stories of Jesus, you read the words of Jesus, you read the words from those who knew Jesus best, it becomes very clear that God doesn't need or want anything from you so you don't have any leverage with him. But he wants something for you. So you don't need any leverage with him. It becomes very clear when you open the page of the scripture, a right standing with God is not based on negotiation with God. It's based on a gift. 
And the, and the, the word that the writers of Scripture use to best you know, sum this all up is the word grace. And we all know what grace is because we've all experienced grace from others at, you know, at some point in our life. You know, we failed that class by two points, but the teacher decided to give us some grace and give us a passing grade. Or, you know, we, you know, we lost that deal at work and the company lost thousands and thousands of dollars. But our boss decided to give us some grace and give us another opportunity and didn't fire us. Or we were speeding way too fast in our cars and we got pulled over but the, but the cop decided to give us some grace and give us a warning instead of a ticket. Like we know how grace works. We've all experienced at some point in time. But the idea of grace that shows up every once in a while in the human experience is the epicenter of faith in Jesus. It's the thing that drives everything as it relates to becoming a follower of Christ, putting our faith in Jesus, and following Jesus, living out our faith in Jesus. And the shortest definition of grace and most concise definition of grace that I can give you is unmerited favor. Unmerited favor. Unmerited means that you and I did nothing to deserve it. Unmerited means it's undeserved and it's unconditional. See, grace, it's getting something for nothing. It's getting something for nothing. Grace costs the person dispensing it, but it doesn't cost the person receiving it. Grace is a, is, a, is, a fa- is favor that is neither earned or deserved by the person on the receiving end. Grace is about getting exactly what you don't deserve on the positive end. And grace, you got to hear this, grace is the thing that sets God apart from all other gods. It's the thing that sets, you know, Jesus apart from all other faith systems and all other faith traditions and every religion that you will ever, ever hear about. Grace is at the epicenter of faith in Jesus. It's God saying, I'm going to do this for you just because I want to. I'm not leveraging your character. I'm leveraging my character. It's not because of your goodness, but because of my goodness. Because of who I am, I am going to do something for you that you did not deserve and you could not do anything to earn. Jesus and the writers of Scripture, the writers of, you know, from the words of those who knew him best, make it remarkably clear that with God, grace is the rule, not the exception. With God, grace is the rule, not the exception. Now, the passage that kind of most vividly brings us to life and it's most clearly explained in is actually found in the New Testament book of Ephesians. And this book that we call Ephesians is actually an ancient document that, you know, eventually ended up in our Bible, but it was actually a letter written by the Apostle Paul to a church, to a community of Christ followers, to a community of people who had put their faith in Jesus in this city of Ephesus. And Paul wrote it in about 65 AD, so about 30 years after the events of Jesus' life. So, you know, eyewitnesses of Jesus are still living and still around, and you could, you know, you could still talk to him at this point in time. And in this letter, Paul gives amazing insight into the immensity of God's grace and how to embrace it. But he starts off a little negative. Actually, he starts off real negative. He says, as for you, and remember, Paul's writing to those who are followers of Christ. Those who have put their faith in Jesus by asking him to be the forgiver of their sins and leader of their life. Paul says, as for you, followers of Christ, you were, past tense, you were dead in your transgressions and sins. Like the rest, he's talking about the rest of the world, everyone who isn't a follower of Christ. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. Wrath from holy God, wrath from creator God. What Paul is doing is he's explaining what we've been actually talking about the last few weeks. If you missed 
uh, over the last few weeks, we've talked about none of us being mistakers. The fact that it's bigger than that. It's uglier than that. And whether we want to admit it or not, we are all, in fact, sinners. And we discovered something else that's really cool. We discovered that Jesus talked about sin in a really interesting way. Because when Jesus talked about sin, he talked about it in the context of relationship. And the point that Jesus continually made was that sin is such a violation against God that it breaks relationship with God. Jesus made it clear that sin is such a violation against holy God, creator God, that it, that it you know, it's, a, it's a, such a violation against his created intent for us and his, great, his created will for us that it breaks our relationship with him. The writers of scripture tell us that the relationship with God that we broke because of our sin, it comes with a huge penalty. It comes with a huge consequence. You remember we talked about this, and that consequence and that penalty is death. Sin does not make you bad. Sin makes you and me dead because it breaks relationship. It separates us from God, the creator of life, the giver of life, both in this life and in the next. And Paul is reminding us here in Ephesians, all are dead because all have sinned. All have a broken relationship with God because all are sinners. All stand condemned before God and are deserving of his wrath because of their violation, because of your violation, because of my violation of sin against God. And the implication of all this being is that we are completely undeserving of any favor from God. Completely undeserving. And we talked about this actually last week, that the news gets even worse than that. That we're completely helpless. That our violation of sin against God is way too big to overcome with any of our efforts. That you and I owe debt a God that we cannot pay back because you and I are in fact a sinner. And there's nothing we can do to get ourselves out of this mess. mess. There's nothing we can do to bargain with God. We stand condemned before him and we deserve nothing but death. And nothing but his wrath. Now the only way out of this, and this means the only way for a restored relationship with God. The only way we can possibly be forgiven by God. The only way that we can end up having a right standing with God. The only way that we can be saved from this death penalty of sin because we're all helpless. Is that God has to choose to do something on his own accord, which makes the first two words of verse 4 so amazing. But God. Just when everything couldn't look any more hopeless, but God. These two words stand in stark contrast with how we normally view and how we normally approach God. Because the two words we normally use, you know, normally pray, normally say are, but I. God, I've done some bad things, but I will do better. And I know I haven't talked to you in a while, but I'm going to start. And I, I really screwed up some things this time, but God, I, I promise I will fix it. And I know I should have, but I promise I will. But I, but I, but I, but I, bargain, 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 bargain. Paul's saying, that's not how it works with your heavenly father. Every time you try to bargain with God, negotiate with God, do deal with God, you underestimate. Got to get this. Every time we try to bargain with God, we underestimate the effects of sin 
and we overestimate our ability to do something about it. See, the moment that you come to terms with the fact that you are, in fact, a sinner, that you have sinned against holy creator God, that you are dead in your sin, that you stand condemned before God, that you are the one who broke this relationship with God, that you deserve nothing but God's wrath, that you are helpless. The moment you come to terms with all that, remember the greatest two words ever uttered, but God, but God, being rich in mercy, whereas, whereas grace is being given what you don't deserve, mercy is not getting what you do deserve. And as sinners, we now know what we do deserve. But God was rich in mercy toward us instead. And how was he rich in mercy? And we talked about this last week. He was rich in mercy by sending his sinless, perfect son, Jesus, to be sacrificed on the cross in our place to atone for, to cover, to wash away the death penalty we deserve because of our violation against God. What you and I were helpless to do ourselves, but God, through Jesus, did for you and for me. God, being rich in mercy, did not give us what we all deserved. Wrath, judgment, death. Instead, he offered us forgiveness. A forgiveness we could not earn and a forgiveness we cannot get any other way because we are helpless. What can wash away the guilt and the shame and the consequences and the penalty of your sin and my sin? As we discovered last week, nothing you'll ever do. No amount of bargaining. Only the blood of Jesus. So why? Why would creator God, why would holy God do such a thing for a bunch of people who do not deserve it? And here's the sentence that needs driven into our hearts, that needs driven into our minds, that needs to become your war cry when you consider the right starting point for faith. But God being rich in mercy. Here it is. Because of the great Love. Because of the great love with which he loved us. God, what have I done to deserve what Jesus did for me on the cross? And God says, nothing. As a matter of fact, you did everything to not deserve it. But because of my great love for you, I did for you what you could not do and you cannot earn for yourself. The center of everything when it comes to the right starting point for faith is this. Because of God's great love for me. Because of God's great love for me. Because of God's great love for me. And I need this driven into your hearts. I need this driven into your mind when you consider the right starting point for faith. So we're going to say it all out loud together where you're at at home and your, you know, your couch and your bed. Where you're going to say it out loud with us. Ready? So here we go. One, two, three. Because. That's pathetic. Like, seriously, like, oh, because of God's great love for me. Like, you're dead. You're under God's wrath. You suck. All right? So, I suck. So, let's, let's go ahead and, like, make this, like, this is actually kind of a big deal. You ready for that? Here we go. One, two, three. Because of God's great love for me. For me. God doesn't want anything from you. 
God doesn't need anything from you. He wants something for you. And the cross is overwhelming evidence of that. That's why you don't have to try to bargain with God, negotiate with God, do deals with God. Anything you offer pales in comparison to what you've already been given. And Paul says, because of God's great love for us, he made us. And remember, the us he's writing to are those of us who have put you know, their faith in Jesus, who have asked Jesus to be the forgiver of their sins and leader of their life. That's the us Paul's writing to. He has made us alive with Christ. And we'll talk about that phrase next week. Even when we were dead in transgressions. We were dead, but God made us alive. We broke a relationship with God, but God restored our relationship. We deserve the wrath of God, but God forgave us. We deserved eternal death separated from God, but God saved us. And then Paul goes on and he goes, I'm going to sum it all up for you. It is by grace you have been saved when we're separated from God, but God. Not because of but me. This isn't a God who helps those who help themselves. Remember, we're completely helpless. But God, because of his great love for you, because of his great love for me, gave us what we don't deserve and could not earn. Forgiveness, redemption, salvation, life. I mean, how stinking awesome is that? And after saying a few other things, Paul kind of, Circles back around to this whole idea to make sure that we didn't miss it in verse 8. He says, for it is by grace, God's unmerited favor, you have been saved. Then he adds something he left out the first time. Through faith. It's so cool. Paul takes us all the way back around to the word that we've been talking about over the last few weeks. And this whole series is based on. Faith. Trust. Essentially, Paul's saying the way that all this becomes a reality for you is a single act of faith, is a single act of trust. Accepting God's love for you by saying, Jesus, I trust you. I trust you. I trust you. I trust that your death on the, on the cross was sufficient to pay for my penalty of sin. I trust you alone to be my savior. You alone to be the forgiver of my sins. Faith is the means by, with, by which God's grace is appropriated to us. And it's by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is the gift. The gift gift of God. It's not the trade. It's not the bargain. It's not the negotiation. It's a gift. And just in case you still didn't get it, Paul says, not by works, not by anything we do, so that no one can boast. This is a gift, a grace gift you didn't do anything to deserve, a grace gift you didn't do anything to earn, a grace, grace gift you weren't even expecting and God didn't leverage anything you did. He didn't leverage your character. He didn't leverage your and my goodness, good, our goodness. He leveraged his own. He did something for you that you did not deserve because of one thing. His great love for you. 
He made this available to you and me as a gift. This gift can't be negotiated for. This gift can't be bargained for. This gift can only be accepted through faith in Jesus. If there's one phrase that I just want you to take away from today and remember from today, it's this. We are saved by grace through faith alone. We are saved by grace through faith alone. Your relationship with God is restored by grace through faith alone. You have a right standing with God because of his grace through your faith alone. You're forgiven for your violation of sin against God by grace through faith alone. You're saved, and I'm saved from our death penalty of sin by grace through faith alone. We're given eternal life by grace through faith alone because of God's great love for you and me. It's by grace that you are saved through faith alone, not by your works or bargaining or efforts. It's a gift from God. Now all this brings us to a question that every person who's considering starting or restarting their faith has to has to answer it at some point in time. And that is, what standard? What standard will you use to determine how a restored relationship with God starts? What standard will you use? Your behavior or God's grace? See, many of us have been told or brought up believing that it has something to do with what we do and what we don't do, our behavior. Well, let me ask you a question. If it's behavior, what behavior? If it's behavior that that's the standard for starting a right relationship with God, what behavior? Tell me what behavior it is. And some people will pick up a Bible and point to specific behaviors. And there's a big problem with that. If one behavior in the Bible is required for a restored relationship with God starting, they're all required for that restored relationship to start. If one of them's required, they're all required. And there ain't no one who can live up to that standard. When you open the pages of Scripture, you see the writers of Scripture clearly saying that no one is good enough. So if your answer to the question of, like, what's my standard for how a right relationship with God starts, if it's behaviors, and your behaviors, some behaviors that you find in the Bible for that starting, listen, you're doomed. You're doomed and everyone else is doomed. So the other option is for you to make up what behaviors. So I'll just make up, like I make up what behaviors, you know, are the standard. And the problem with that is you made them up. And if there is a God, I'm pretty sure he doesn't take his cues from you. I mean, let's be honest, you can't even live up to your own behavior standards. So if it's not our behavior, the other option is God's grace. And unfortunately, many of us think it's a blend of the two, our behaviors and God's grace. Where'd you get that idea? Where did you get that idea? It can't be both. Because as soon as you enter the equation, hear me, as soon as you enter the equation, it's no longer God's grace. You gotta remember, the guy who wrote half of our New Testament said, It's a gift of God, not by works. And Paul believed that's what Jesus came to prove, and that's what Jesus came to demonstrate. And Paul would know because he met 
Jesus. So, will you live your life trying to earn a right relationship with God by a set of rules or set of behaviors? Or perhaps, is God's grace the ticket? See, another way to ask this question is, you know, what standard will you use to determine how a restored relationship with God starts? What you do or what God has done for you? Listen, remember what I'm about ready to say next. All religion, all religion, all religion can be summarized with the word do. All religion. The problem is, on your best day, you never know how good is good enough. And don't you dare pick up a Bible to say how good is good enough. You're doomed. Hear me. Jesus did not come to start a religion. Come on. For those of you who have never started your faith in Jesus, this is so important. You've got to get what I'm about ready to say right now. Jesus did not come to start a religion. He came to restore a broken relationship. Why all other faith systems give you dues, Jesus said it has been D-O-N-E, done, done, done for you. What you could not do for yourself that you were helpless to do for yourself, God through Jesus did for you. It is done. We are saved by grace through faith alone. Because of God's great love for you, it's by grace you've been saved through faith alone, not by your works. It's a gift from God. It's grace. It's unmerited favor just because God loved you that much. And in light of that kind of love, what else can we do but accept this amazing gift by putting our faith in Jesus? And next week, next week I'm going to give you the one and only reason, the one and only reason I believe all this to be true. And next week I'm going to give you the one and only reason I think you should accept this gift and put your faith in Jesus. But today, before I close, I, I, wanted, I do want to talk specifically for those of you who have accepted that gift. I want to talk specifically for those of you who have put your faith in Jesus by asking him to be the forgiver of your sins and lead your life. And those of you who would say that you, 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 know, you call yourself followers of Christ. I, I just want to talk to you real quick and circle back around to something that I alluded to, to in week four. And what I'm ready to say for us, this is so vitally important. So just hear me. Don't forget this. All the to-dos... And following Jesus, our responses to what Jesus has first to done for us. Perfect English, right? Do you know why we forgive other people? Because Jesus first forgave us. Do you know why we love others? Because Jesus first loved us. Do you know why we serve? Because Jesus served us first to the point of death. Do you know why we are kind? Because Jesus was so kind to us first. Do you know why we put others first? Because at the cross, Jesus put us first. Do you know why we give? Because of all that Jesus gave to us. All the to-dos in following Jesus are simply responses to what Jesus has first to done for us. Listen, it's by God's grace. By God's grace that our relationship with God even started. It's by God's grace that our relationship with God was restored. Nothing that we did got us in to this relationship with God. It's by God's grace through faith. And it's by God's grace 
that our relationship with God stays secure and is secure. Nothing we do keeps us in this relationship. And nothing we do can take us out of this relationship. As followers of Christ, remember we talked about this. We are called children of God. The moment we put our faith in Jesus, we are called children of God. And nothing we do or don't do can make our Heavenly Father love us more or love us less. We don't obey God. We don't follow Jesus to gain anything. We obey and we follow because of all what we've already gained because of his grace. We don't obey God and we don't follow Jesus to earn anything from God. We do because Jesus already did all the earning for us. We don't obey and we don't follow as a bargaining chip, but as a response of gratitude for what's already been given to us. We don't obey and, and, and we don't follow because we're contract labor in response to the, our Heavenly Father's great love for us. We don't obey God and we don't follow Jesus to get more from God, but to grow in our relationship with Him. And we don't obey God and we don't follow Jesus to stay in God's good graces. We obey and we follow because when we do, He transforms us more into who He created us to be and our trust in Him grows this is not a religion this is a relationship when we embrace the amazing grace of God we experience what can never be experienced through negotiating through bargaining or through trying to earn it when we embrace the amazing grace of God we start to see him as our heavenly father and we want to relate to him to that way. When we embrace the amazing grace of God, we see how great the love our Father truly has for us and truly is for us. When we embrace the amazing grace of God, we become overwhelmed with gratitude to God. When we embrace the amazing grace of God, we can experience peace and never wonder where we stand with God. And the reason we sing amazing grace is because it's Amazing. And the less amazing you are, the more amazing his grace for you is. Man, the most gracious people you will ever meet are those who have tapped into God's amazing grace for them. The only other option to all this, by the way, is self-righteousness. I did this. I earned this. Look at me and look what I did and how holy I am. And that appears holy. But that's ugly. And that never gets you into a relationship with God. And that surely doesn't keep you in a relationship with God. So the best option, and maybe really the only option, is to accept God's amazing grace. His amazing grace is almost too good to be true. But it shows how much God love how, how how much the love of God He has for you. All right, I want to end with that today. But but in ending, I just I do want to do the you know same thing, give you the same thing I've ended every week with, and that's just a few questions, a few questions to wrestle with before you come back next week. Uh, these are you know this is a journey we're on, 
And so these questions are going to help you really on this journey and wrestle through this journey. And so T-Life groups, wrestle through them this week. Those of you who are in the uh, starting point short-term groups, do your homework in, the, in, your, in your workbook, and, uh, and then you're going to wrestle through these questions together. Wrestle through them individually or car ride home or as you sit on the couch with your spouse or whatever. Just wrestle through these before next week. Here's the first one. What would change in you, your faith, or how you relate to God if it's true that you are saved, that you get in and stay in by unconditional, unmerited, unearned grace through faith alone? Maybe not much for you. Maybe you're like, yeah, I get all this. Not not much is changing in me or how I view God or my faith. That's awesome. But maybe everything. Maybe everything would change for you, and everything would change for your faith, and everything would change for how you relate to God. Here's the second question. Most people respond to the idea of unconditional grace with, but what about? So, what's your, but what about? Because you probably got one. Ah, yeah, grace through faith alone, but what about baptism? But what about confession? But what about communion? But what about mass? But what about that one sin? But what about that one verse? As you identify your what about, the question you're going to have to wrestle with is, is God's grace enough? Or does it have to have your what about? Is God's grace enough for you? And as you, what about everybody else, is God's grace sufficient for them? Now, this last question, for those of you who have never accepted God's grace, have never put your faith in Jesus, I want to give you a question to wrestle with specifically before you come back next week. Next week, I would love for you to wrestle with this question. What's stopping you from accepting God's grace through faith in Jesus? What's stopping you? Next week, I'm going to give you, as I said before, I'm going to give you the one reason I think you should consider putting your faith in Jesus. And then next week, I'm going to give you an opportunity to do so. I'm going to give you an opportunity to accept God's amazing grace. And who knows, next week, maybe your life and your eternity will be forever changed. Pray with me. God, I don't really know how to end a day except saying thank you. Um, Thank you for your amazing grace. Thank you for doing for us what we could not do for ourselves, what we could not earn for ourselves, what we could not bargain for, what we could not make a deal for. Thank you for showing your great love for us. Thank you for loving us when we didn't love you back. We didn't want to love you back, and when we don't want to love you back, that you keep pursuing us and love you and loving us. Thank you for your amazing grace. Amazing grace. How sweet the sound. The saved a wretch like me. The saved a sinner like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. Because of your amazing grace, I once was blind, but now I see. Thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.